Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com podcast. All right, let's get started. Oh yeah, this is a high energy podcast. Tejas Kumar is a super, super guest, and he is here to tell us all about the difference between DevRel and DevCell, which of course you must not do. Tejas has had a really, really comprehensive background as a developer relations person working in a whole bunch of different well-known companies and has picked up a ton of experience. We talk about all sorts of things, but one interesting place that the conversation went was about how to pace yourself as a DevRel when you're out at conferences, going to speaker dinners, maybe drinking a little bit too much, all that sort of stuff. Uh, a kind of a hidden dark side to the industry that you have to learn how to manage to keep your health and your mental health. So without further ado, let us get started. Hey, Tejas, welcome to the Fireside with Vox Gig podcast. I am so excited to have you on today. I was really looking forward to this talk. How are you doing, sir? Hey, Richard, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, and I'm really excited to talk to you about all things DevRel, um, community, the the lines between sales and marketing, all of it. I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm really high energy today. Excellent, excellent. Um, and I can totally feel it. Okay, so you, you do developer relations. Uh, one of the questions I love asking people because the answers are so varied is how did you end up doing developer relations? Um, uh, just looking at your your history and all the stuff you've done and the places you've worked, wow, um, you, you've covered quite a bit of ground. <laughs> yeah, I you know it's such an interesting journey because I, I I've never been academic. I've never studied well. I barely finished high school, um, and that's because I've got I've got major health issues that I've, that I've been pretty public about. I talk about it on YouTube. I've got like a forty eight minute video about my health and how it's yeah. been pretty bad um, and pretty you know traumatic. But the health disease that I had that I thought was a curse is kind of a blessing. And it led me to code because any physical motion would land me in the emergency room as, as a kid. Um, and except, you know, the tiny little physical motions of typing on a keyboard. Um, and so since really since age eight, um, that's all I could do. And I started with video games. So like Prince of Persia on Windows 3.1. Oh, marvelous. Um, yeah, but, 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 then, but then they got boring, you know, and... Um, I was like, okay, what else can I do? How do I make a game, right? Um, and then, you know, got um, put onto HTML, CSS, JavaScript. But we had like Dreamweaver on front page and things like that back then. Um, and started playing, eventually built a website when I was 13. That was later in magazines um, and kind of everywhere. Uh, in, in my local community in, in Doha, Qatar. Um, and, you know, at that point, it became prophecy, right? Like, I'd go to school and the teachers and the students were like, oh, my gosh, you're going to be a web person when you grow up. And indeed, many years later, I uh, had my first job as a front-end engineer um, doing, and, you know, I think that ties in, and we'll come back to that in a second, because I think front-end and DevRel are kind of inextricably connected. Um, and, and yes, there are back-end folks who do DevRel as well, but there, there's a presentational component that I feel like this idea of being public facing translates well across front end and devrel um but as a front end developer i was i grew at some point very frustrated about the fact that my web user interface is ready to go but it's blocked by like some api that isn't ready or some some kubernetes thing that like I, and, and that that you know i couldn't talk to and so a, a perennial question was why is the backend not ready 
Um, to the point where I got so frustrated that I rage quit front end and started doing back end. I was like, why? Why does all this stuff take so long? And indeed, I found out. <laughs> yeah, and well, actually, yes, it was. I was very annoyed. And so, you know, um, yeah, just, that is that's that's kind of an interesting thing, right? Because what I've noticed in projects is that the front end code, and maybe that's a more modern thing. Uh, is about four times the size of back-end code these days, right? Because the front-end code has got lots of states. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it's really interactive. Has that changed? Have things kind of flipped around, do you think? I think they're flipping around. So I think a big trend that we're seeing is um, the rise of doing a lot of stuff on the server. So there's this, this newer, or not newer, but there's a it's more prevalent, this, this notion of the back-end for the front-end, which is a tiny yeah. little microservice, right, that, that kind of sits between the actual back-end and the front-end. And I think that is doing more work now. So front-ends themselves in isolation are getting a lot smaller uh, because of the BFF component. Yeah. 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 Okay, so you're, you're basically a self-taught coder. Um, yes. Which is, yes. Which is so, a, you know, very common, actually, in, in DevRel. Um, I, I think the ability to sort of self-learn is one of those important skills. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, and and you know after the backend, I realized whoa, there's a lot of complexity here. So pivoted to DevOps a little bit, um, Kubernetes, Docker, all that stuff. And all the while, right, I'd been talking to people, teaching people what I'd learned um, because I'm a huge proponent of this idea that you don't really know something unless you can explain it to someone in plain English. And earlier in my career, there were lots of very smart people who, well, I perceived them to be smart, but they could not explain things to me. Um, and I felt stupid because I thought, oh, I can't understand this. Um, looking back, I kind of suspect that maybe they just didn't know enough to explain plainly uh, the things that I asked. But anyway, so uh, through teaching, through talking about these learnings publicly, I'd say that was kind of a precursor to DevRel until I landed my first DevRel position at um, Zeit, which is now Vercel. That was just a very short thing. I think it was like three months or something. Um, but yeah, that's kind of when I got into vocational dev. Let me ask you about that one. Was the um, developer culture, the developer focus there at the start for Vercel? Or was it something they, they pivoted into and learned later? Yeah, Zeit. No, like, I think I, I have a huge respect for Zeit and specifically the founder, uh, Guillermo, because he is a developer. And it's this company started by a dude who loves and works heavily with code, right? And we we see technical founders and CEOs, but I, I'd say Guillermo is like one of the he's a machine. Like <laughs> he is a fucking machine. Like started with you know Socket IO, and then he created Next.js like from his brain with a few collaborators, if I remember correctly. And is just always very code heavy. Um, and indeed, when I worked there too, was was very very code heavy. We, I remember meetings with certain database providers talking about the different types of consistency. And at the time I was very young, I didn't even know what he was talking about. And I think if I was to work with him today, I'd still, he'd be on another level, you know? So yeah, it was, since he is a developer, the developer focus was from day zero for sure. I think that that's an important little point because uh, some people suffer from a lot of imposter syndrome especially yes. if you're entering the industry and, you know, they, they see people being so productive. I, I don't know about, I mean, I'm only going to speak for myself, right? I'm never going to catch up to Guillermo. I mean, that's just never going to happen, <laughs> right? That guy is, you know, he's God, he's a machine. Um, but it's okay. Not everybody yeah. has to operate at that level, right? You, you, yeah. It's okay. Yes, I, I completely agree. Like I look at, I look at even modern day 
like little Guillermo's almost. And I, that's maybe minimizing. I don't mean to minimize, but I look at people like my good friend, Hassan El Mgari, right? Hassan created this thing called Room GPT, among other side projects that are just viral. And he's also a machine. He's just like churning out side project after side project and doing full-time DevRel at Vercel now. And like, man, I look at him and I go, dang, bro, that's impressive. And part of me feels like, maybe not imposter syndrome, but I feel motivated. I'm like, gosh, I want to be like Hassan. But at the same time, kind of like what you just said, Richard, I, I have to tell myself, hey, it's totally fine to not be that way. I'm wired differently. And that's actually good because then we complete the ecosystem. Like if everyone was like Hassan or Guillermo, um, I don't know that we do much of the other stuff that matters just as much. Yeah, and I mean, they say there's like the three pillars of, of, of developer relations, right? So code, content, community. But I think it's okay not to be one third split on all of those, right? Yeah. Some people are much better community. Uh, not yeah. me, for example, right? So I'm much, much more in code. <laughs> I mean, you're kind of killing it on content. Um, I mean, I, ha I have to ask, right? Do you, how do you manage to maintain that consistent content delivery? That's a that's a great question. Um, I also, this is, I think, maybe the first time I hear these three pillars of code. That's really cool. Because for me as a DevRel professional, what I'm visualizing in my head is like these three continuums, right? Zero to 100% sliders. Where am I on each of these? Um, and, and indeed, I think community and content is probably equally high. So they're like, um, I'd say... 40, 45, 45, and then code is 10 <laughs> right now. Yeah. Um, and, and it's an indicator of like where to focus for any DevRel professional. So that's awesome. That's actually, if anyone's listening and wants to measure their own DevRel, that's a great tool. Um, but how do I churn out as much content? Um, it's usually through panic. So I'm speaking at like 32 conferences this year. Um, and there's there's a reason for that that we can get into later. But they, they're all, most of them are different topics. So I'm not reusing the same content. Um, and wow. I kind of decided to do that. Yeah, yeah, I kind of decided to do that earlier. Crazy, dude. That's, that's it's, a, it's, a for, it's a forcing function, you know, and now I'm yeah. forced to. So like literally, man, two days ago, I did a talk on um, Zod and TRPC in depth um, in, in proper. It was yeah. a 45 code heavy live coding. We did demos. It was very intense. That's intense. Um, yeah. And it's great because I got to learn. And indeed, that bumped up my code percentage on code community and uh, content. So I'm forced by my own um, compulsion to have to say yes to things. Um, conference-driven conference development, that's what they call it. <laughs> that's right. But as a consequence, my YouTube content has suffered. I haven't put out a new video in like two months. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 there's a balance. I can't do everything. And I think that's also okay. I want to focus on one thing. We, we were having a little chat before we came on that you mentioned that really struck true with me, which is, uh, you know, back in the day, maybe ten years ago, a lot of the, a lot of the talks that developers were giving at conferences, you know, those developers fitted into the basic idea of developer relations, even if we didn't call it that. But a lot of the talks they gave were, oh, you know, I got a Raspberry Pi and I made a smoke machine. Um, Right. Uh, oh, and I happen to work for this company and we're hiring, but that's like the very last slide and the only time they mention their employer. Um, so talk to me about, I think this is something you, the value you, you kind of hold very near and dear, which is the difference between DevRel and DevCell, right? That's right. Yeah, that's, that's something I, I keep coming back to. I keep saying over and over again, it's DevRel, not DevCell. And I've, I've consulted for and worked at a lot of companies who struggle with this um, because like you'll go to a conference 
and you'll come back and they'll be like, okay, so where's our leads? <laughs> and I'm like, that's, yeah. that's not that's not how it works. Um, and if you wanted leads, then then maybe hire a sales or a marketing team, right? Because it's in the name, um, developer relations, not developer sales. And I, I'm very passionate about that as a former director of DevRel um, at at various places. Um, I've I've actually had like a standing almost rule in my teams that if 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 I get the sense that you're selling. Uh, too much. We're going to have a talk about it, um, and we're going to adjust that. We're going to dial that in because one, it's not the team's responsibility to sell, um, contrary to what people may think. And two, if you're selling, that's probably costing relationship quality. Now, what what do I mean by relationship quality? Right. I mean um, showing genuine interest and investment in people in general, but for a company that is seeking profit. Um, in you know strategic partners as well, um, and I think that's really important. But but it's genuine investment. Is like how can we support you? Tell us about your initiatives. Um, not not so that we can do better than you, but so that we can actually like support you because that's how you build, in my opinion, at least relationships is through like genuinely being interested, invested, and supporting other people. Um, okay. I, I could I could I can come back to you right. And I could say okay, you know what I'm I'm going for my Series B and. Got to hit my quarterly numbers, and I have this team of people that I'm paying for. Um, so what is the what is the insight? What is the the core benefit to the company that is greater than just getting the developer relations people to just sell? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And what, what I'm hearing is what's in it for the company outside of sales when it comes to DevRel. Um, and I think it's like relationships and and I think the, the really good companies get this, right? Like Vercel just partnered with like Neon, for example, to, to un- unlock Vercel Postgres. Uh, that comes out of good relationships. And as a result, both companies grow. Um, Vercel makes money. Neon makes money from Vercel. Similar Cloudflare has this thing called, um, what is it? Workers for platforms. Yes. Similar thing. Um, that's that's I think the fruit of really great DevRel is partnerships, is alliances, where where the rising tide raises all boats. Yeah, the uh, sum of uh, value is among mm-hmm. other things. I, I think that's right, and I think another thing that that is in DevRel, um, rather that companies can get out of DevRel beyond just sales, is um, free community efforts, and this is I feel like a huge win, right? I think a great example of this is React. React has um, I think zero DevRel people at this moment. I think they hired two at Meta and then laid them off very quickly, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but for an open source project with absolutely no DevRel, it is phenomenally successful in terms of community. And, and I think that's an example where, you know, there's people in like um, Lagos, Nigeria, who will organize some React conference that, that the, the React core team, that Meta itself is divorced from. So you have people across the world doing DevRel for you for free because they love your thing so much and because that's the relationship you've cultivated with them. And I think that is huge because you have not just your internal DevRel team doing DevRel, but indeed the whole world. Um, so your your DevRel workforce has multiplied. And I think that is the fruit of really good DevRel. Um, it is it, it is a long game, as with any relationships. Can you like you you go for a date, right, with a with a male, female, or non-binary person. You go for one date, and you're like, all right, when are we getting married? Like that's not I that's probably not going to work in most cases. And I think a lot of companies see DevRel like that. Like you speak at a conference, okay, where's our customers? But that's that's so far from reality. Whereas you build rapport, you go on a few dates, you get engaged. Like there's a whole timeline, and I think that's really um, true for DevRel.
Uh, yeah, and I think as, as an activity, we, we kind of need to scale back this focus on metrics that we have. I mean, you see a lot of people talking about, oh, I got to figure out some metrics for my boss, right? Yes. I think I think metrics can be good. And I think the metrics ought to be focused on like what we're producing, what we're giving as opposed to what we're getting. So I love your matrix of content, community, and code. What What are we putting out there? Um, and that's it has to stop there. We can't measure after like, okay, so what's the impact of the, th that's going to be hard to measure because DevRel is a long game. But, you know, something I think would, that would be reasonable is these are the, these are the conferences we're sponsoring. These are the side, these are the, not side projects. These are the demos we're doing. These are the blog posts we're writing in numbers and looking at impact over time, over a long period of time, and then adjusting as we go. Your point reminds me of some random quote that I saw attributed to Bill Gates. And I'm an open source person, so this really pains me to say it, but I think, I think he got this right. He, uh, he said, as a business strategy, Microsoft probably captured only 1% of the value that Microsoft Word or Excel ever created, right? Yeah. 1% of the value accrued outside of Microsoft. But that was yeah. the key to this, their success. Yeah. Right? They weren't, they weren't greedy about capturing too much value initially. Um, yeah. Do you think that, do you think that work, I guess it did work for them in hindsight. They are still Microsoft and successful. But I, I guess I wonder if capturing more of that value would have been even more beneficial. They probably could have dialed it up to like 2%. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, instead of being, I don't know, what, what were they? $500 billion, they could have been a trillion. Maybe they would have yeah. been a trillion dollar company. Uh, yeah, right. I, it, it, I, think it is a, I think it is a very good point. I mean, I've seen it in my own businesses, that emphasis on just the relationship building. Yeah. Generates sales. Uh, and they may be two or three years down the line, but they're very, very solid relationships. Exactly. I think of um, as a great, I, I've been watching um, Cal.com's development a lot with Peer, who's a, who's a friend. And the way they do it is, is phenomenal, right? Because they focus on, <laughs> he, he, tweet, he tweets a lot of controversial things. And he said, you know, he's like, customers we don't want is like, hey, can we get like an extension on our free tier? <laughs> it's like customers we do want is like one really good enterprise that's like, here, just let here have $10,000 $10, a month and, and sort us out, make the problems go away. Um, and I think with relationships, quantity leads to um, filtering for the quality ones that you want to have and invest in. So, And you can only do that with wide-reaching DevRel initiatives like conference talks or blog posts or until you find the few people that really your product resonates with, and then you know you you have more focus. So you kind of start broad and then narrow in. You, I mean, I, I like, you mentioned like, you mentioned sorry. one person that's doing it really well. Are you familiar with um, Matteo Kalina's new startup, Platformatic? I, I am. Yeah, yeah. He's I'm doing excited a fabulous about this job on on this. Dev, you know, DevRel. Yeah. Yeah, and he's he's just like a one-man DevRel team. I mean, I see him streaming on YouTube, and every time he does YouTube content, I'm pretty sure the the graphs at Platformatic are going up because it's it's he's an interesting person. His projects are interesting, therefore Platformatic must be interesting. So, um, I wonder if that's something transferable to more people. Yeah. Now, there's an interesting challenge with that, right? Which I've seen, and I, and I 
you, you've been a DevRel leader, so I wonder if you've come across this as well, is sometimes if you have a developer relations team that is executing really well, generating a lot of buzz um, and good relationships, but where the you know the, the DevRel team is out at conferences, and you, you're doing 32 this year, you said, I think? Yeah. Yeah. Now, t- those are not holidays. That's hard work, right? If you were, you've ever done, you, you know that's, that is tough, right? Doing that yes. work. Yes. Um, but a, a lot of people who haven't done that work look at that and go, oh, man, that guy's on holiday. He's having yeah. fun. Look at him tweeting out these speaker dinners. And, you know, <laughs> this, there was always a challenge to communicate the value internally of the work and the fact that it wasn't, it wasn't a junket. It wasn't just um, messing around, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I hear, I hear a lot of people, you know, especially so as a DevRel leader um specifically in like director level posts like i've heard my reports saying things kind of casually you know kind of off the cuff they're they're like oh man i'm so glad i'm back from this conference now i get to do some real work real work and yeah yeah and i come down so hard on this type of language because it it shows that there's a core belief that traveling um and you know doing the speaker dinners the talks the workshops is not real work when in fact that I know, especially for the introverts among us, that can be incredibly taxing. Just having to be so so alert all the time, um, and then having to navigate jet lag, and then having to um, navigate, you know, maybe some pressure to drink alcohol if that's not your thing, or just for the sake of the relationship. There's so many layers to it. I call it. I'm actually working on a blog post called "The Dark Side of Devrel" um, that that kind of goes into detail about all of this. And I'm happy to go into detail about it here. But yes, it is it is not just work. It is very very hard work, um, especially. Um, for for me, and, and I'm not crying like you know victim or anything, but with the 32 conferences uh, a year or this year, it, it does also place, as you can imagine, reasonable stress on my my family life and things like that. So yes, it's not glamorous. It's not a holiday. Um, in fact, what I've learned is holidays are actually awesome. <laughs> and it sounds obvious, but um, I, I was just on holiday um, uh, about a month ago and man, it's great, dude. You just wake up and you're like, wow, the whole day is, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> just to give you an example, right? I, I've been to Barcelona, I think about five times. Barcelona is famous for the Sagrada Familia, which is this amazing cathedral, which everybody has to see if you go to Barcelona. I've never seen it, not once. Wow. Right, because you've got yeah, because yeah, you've got conferences and you've got speaker dinners and plans and all that stuff. Let's talk about the alcohol thing. I think that's really interesting. Um, so I'm Irish. <laughs> uh, would be fond of a drop uh, in my younger days, but uh, during COVID, decided to give up. Um, and uh, you know, it, it just a, you know a combination of, of circumstances and COVID pressure and that type of stuff. Um, and uh, I don't miss it, and it's great. And I can actually drink more beer than ever because, hey, it's alcohol-free. <laughs> so zero guilt. Um, but one of the things I don't miss about conferences is that pressure to drink. And I think yes. collectively that's still an issue we need to deal with. Yes. Yes, it's not It's not even just the pressure to drink, but the pressure to eat. Um, as, so I, I'm... So at the beginning of last year, well, I was in the worst shape of my life physically, right? Just kind of overweight, tired all the time, um, border bordering on depression. 
et cetera. And it was because I was just like stringing conferences back to back um, and, you know, um, reveling in all of the speaker dinners and the unlimited amounts of alcohol and all of that. Um, again, it wasn't a holiday, but it was networking, uh, quote unquote, right? And it, 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 I, I looked at myself in the mirror with a shirt off and I was like, oh my gosh, what happened to me? Um, and at that point, you know, I decided, hey, it's time to get serious about um, self-control. And so indeed, I, I started, you know, avoid e eating right, avoiding alcohol, etc. And it's not bad. I, I can't call it negative, right? Because for the conferences and the attendees, it's a one-time thing. So oftentimes it's once a year. Yeah. Uh, and so of course you want to have a little party, you want to live a little, it's great. But for those of us in DevRel who string these together, it's not once a year, it's a lifestyle. And then you, it comes down to, do you, what kind of lifestyle do you want? So oftentimes I'm the person who, you know, at the speaker dinner, I'll be like, oh, actually, I no thank you on the potatoes or the, or the whiskey or the beer or whatever. And, you know, sometimes people do go like, oh my gosh, that's weird. And then I explain to them, yes, I can see how that would be weird. But imagine if this was every week for you and then they get it, you know? Yeah, you, I think you're right. I mean... And, and and just to those of us, to those of you listening who who are just starting down this path and just starting to go to conferences, um, <laughs> all you have to do is is have to give us have to give a talk once one time when you're hungover, and you'll never do it again. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder, I wonder also because you just addressed the listeners. I think it's it's a very I, I want I think it's important for the listeners to know who, who are maybe getting into Devrel that it is totally valid and fine to say no um, to things like food and alcohol, depending on their preference, but also to the pressure of like having to attend the entire conference if you've been invited to just do a talk. Uh, and, and, you know, of course, you may, be, you may be missing out on learning and things like this, but I've been in situations and my reports have been in situations where we have traveled for 14 hours um, and we are jet lagged, unhealthy. We're showing signs of um, kind of mental illness, but they'll still spend the entire day at the conference and feel destroyed after. And nobody wants that, right? So so I think it's important for people to, I, I, I think there is a valid feeling of pull to like, oh, I need to go to the conference and be present because they brought me here. Um, but they didn't bring you there to watch the entire conference. They brought you there to do a talk and bless their community, which you will do. But what you do outside of that is entirely up to you. And it's whatever you choose is totally valid and safe. I think that's an important message for this people getting to do yeah, pace yourself. I would add a tiny little bit of advice on that, on top of that one, uh, which I've learned through hard experience of um, annoyed conference organizers. Uh, if you are doing that and your talk is coming up, just send them a text message to let them know you're in the city, you're on the ground, you're going to be turning up, <laughs> you will be giving your talk. Um, running, I, I don't know if you've ever run events directly, Tejas, but uh, running events is super stressful. I can imagine. A, a good friend of mine, Jessica West, um, she was formerly at MongoDB. I don't know where she is right now, but she uh, used to run DinosaurJS, which I think is the best name of a conference ever. Um, and she said to me, I said, Jess, what's it like, like organizing a conference? And she said, it's like organizing a wedding, but with many brides. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Oh yeah, totally. Um, and of course, you know, for the tech conferences, there is no way you're getting the slides in advance, right? I'm bringing my own laptop, and I have my own slides, and I just finished them while the other speaker was talking. So, yeah, that, you know, you, slides. 
I don't know if I don't know if you were if if you're serious about that or not, but that's that's my experience every single time. Is I finish the slides while the previous speaker is talking, yeah. um, and I I finish the first draft of my slides on the plane to the location. So okay, we, um, we we should we, okay we we should we should stop there, right? Um, again, if you're only getting started in Temple and you're doing conference talks, um, give yourself ten years, and then you'll get to the point where <laughs> you won't completely die of a heart attack if you were still doing that last slide with five minutes to yeah. go. Uh, well, you know, that's the other advanced. thing is, yeah, definitely. I, I see so much variance over slides as well. So I, I part of the work that I do, um, Richard, is I, I coach speakers and, and teams of speakers. And, and oftentimes there's new speakers. So uh, two days ago, I was coaching a phenomenal speaker. Her name is Nidhi, Nidhi Kumari. So she has my last name with, with an I at the end. And um, she, you know, had a certain style of slides and so many different speakers, either new speakers, old speakers have different styles of slides. And I think that's fascinating because for me, why I finish my slides very last minute is because there's usually like six of them, right? Okay. I, most, of, most of my talks are predominantly like writing code live and showing things working. And the slides literally are just like one big word. And then I talk about that word. So that's why I don't feel the pressure. But if your slide decks are more, you know, um, complex, then of course, I would highly recommend taking as much time beforehand as, as necessary. Oh, yeah, you're right. And, and it is wonderful. And that's one of the great things about going to conferences is you, you see that variation. Um, I mean, I, I, I saw, I was at one conference years ago where the speaker, he would only do one or two conferences a year. And for every talk, he would commission a cartoonist to do wow. a slide for him, right? Wow, that's amazing. Every one of his slides right, was a, a new cartoon on, a, on the same theme uh, that he that's, made people. Uh, that's awesome. But he, um, he, he would take months to prepare, right? Right, right. I feel um, compelled to share with, with your listeners um, two things. One, the best slides I've seen. And two, um, like slide no-nos that I think should be avoided. Yes. Oh, yeah, because yeah. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So the best slides I've seen, um, you know, I mean, obviously, I, f I feel like this should be kind of obvious is like Apple, um, they just have and they, they used to have at least when Steve Jobs was around really nice slides. But if we talk about DevRel folks in the web ecosystem, um, I want to shout out to Yanni Evacalio. Um, he's on Twitter at, at J Evacalio, um, whatever. It'll be in the show notes, I assume. Um, he, he's, he does this talk about AI um, and he works at an AI company and like his slides are just phenomenal um, because they're generated by AI, like the, the illustrations. And I, I, I'd recommend, there's a talk of his um, on YouTube. I'll, I'll send it to you if you want to include in the show notes. But he, also people like uh, Vitaly Friedman from Smashing Magazine, always like on point. Um, and the common theme among these slides is there's usually just a word and an illustration, nothing more. And and the the speaker fills in the the actual content. And this is also very closely related to the no-no I was talking about because I, I've seen probably the worst slides are where there's just paragraphs on the slide. Um, and what ends up happening is the reader ends up just saying what's on the slide. And at that point, you know, for me as a attendee, my experience is divided. Like I'm trying to read the slide, but I'm also trying to listen to the speaker at the same time. But they're the same thing, but the speaker has a different like intonation and body language. And so like, I'm like, in terms of sensory input, I'm confused. I, I don't know where, and this kind of ruins my talk experience. So I, I, for anyone listening, slides with paragraphs and lots of text, like verbose slides, I think is a definite no-no. Um, yeah. And I, I think we, we often see that with first timers because they are thinking that a conference talk is kind of like a conference room presentation to 20 people. 
Right. Yeah. Totally different. I, yeah. Right. And what I've done with people I've coached who a uh, number, man, like it's so prevalent. So many new speakers do this like verbose slide thing. And a simple hack we do to help is we cut a lot of the text out. And by cut, I mean in the context of cut and paste. And then we cut it from the slide and paste it into the presenter notes. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, and that solves the problem straight away, right? Yeah, exactly. And so the slide becomes more uh, terse and the presenter notes are visible to them and every, everybody wins. So, Awesome. Tejas, we are... <laughs> We're gonna to have to cut it. We're gonna to have to have to stop there because uh, we're already over time, and I could go for another forty-five minutes easily. Uh, <laughs> we will have to have you back on because you are an advocate of DevRel, not DevCell. I know you won't do it yourself, so I'm gonna do it for you. Uh, Tay just runs an absolutely amazing developer relations consultancy. If you need developer relations, go talk to this guy. He knows what he's doing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. It's an honor uh, to share this with you. Awesome. Awesome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgig.com slash podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgig.com slash newsletter or follow our Twitter at voxgig. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.